Welcome to the 44th episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today's guest is Junaid Ahmed. Junaid immigrated to the U.S. at 19 years old in the mid-90s. He started his career working on websites. He then got experience with servers. He worked for both small businesses and corporations. He made sure to learn as much as he could. He is the host of the Hacks and Hobbies podcast. He always dabbled in photography as a hobby. He combined his background in tech and his photography hobby to become a UI UX designer. Listen to follow Junaid's journey. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show is impossible without you. Let's get this show started. Hey, Junaid, can you give an introduction of yourself? Hey, Junaid. How, how do I say your name again? Well, Junaid. mine I go by Junaid, but you can call me Junaid. You're, we're close enough. We're name brothers. It's hard name to find. Brothers, exactly. And what's funny is that you had a different spelling and then you're like, I was like, hey, this is pretty cool connecting with you. So a little bit about myself. I started as a user experience designer almost a decade ago. But before that, I was designing graphics and for the web and being very associated with the technology space. Been doing that for over two decades. And it's been a ton of excitement. So I'm not sure where to start, but... I mean, that's a good start. That's a good start. All right. Before we take it back, what does a user experience designer do? Like, what what do you do in your sort of day job? Oh, great question. So user experience designer is somebody who designs an experience uh, using UI and customer journey and figuring out, hey, how do we solve a problem when somebody's facing? And it's mainly designing the user interface, and it's associated very closely with uh, web applications, mobile applications, and in this space of enterprise. So I am focused on creating enterprise applications and figuring out the user experience of, hey, what's the day-to-day this guy is going to do? And how are they going to be interacting with this design? want to make it as intuitive as possible. So these are like employee logins. If they want to check how many vacation days they have, or they want to check something, they want to pull some data, that type of stuff. That type of stuff, as well as think about you are, let's say, submitting your time card or you're reporting, hey, this incident happened and you're doing analytics, you're doing you know, a bunch of work together in different tabs. But what's one place that all of this information makes sense? Then you're doing reporting on it. So all of that uh, is encompassing in you know UX design. Let's take it back. Would you want to be in high school? In high school, I didn't know what I wanted to be, but before I got introduced to computers, I always wanted to be a pilot, wanted to fly planes because I wasn't very close to technology, only at a point that, okay, it's tech is there, you know, we have a television, we have a telephone. I I wasn't too involved. And I do remember like my neighbor at the time had a Commodore 64 and he let us borrow it. So I played on it and, you know, I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. And then eventually we got an Atari. And then I think my dad got us our very first computer in 92, which is a 486. And having computer at home totally changes the perspective. When you're so close to something, it starts affecting how you think, how you work things. And what's really cool is having close proximity to any technology gives you an edge like none other. For example, Bill Gates 
had access to a computer that even the engineers that were assigned to these computers didn't have access to it past the eight hours that they were required to work on. So Bill Gates had free reign to this this computer and he would just program, you know, 24 hours a day. And that's what enabled him to even, you know, create the operating system that IBM then bought from him. So having close practical technology enabled me to be more tech savvy, more curious of, hey, how does this work? Like, why is this thing moving on on the screen when I move the mouse? Wow, nice. So that was definitely at a young age. So you, you know, the pilot, then you want to become that. Now, I know you did a lot of graphic design and all that stuff. How did that sort of get into your life? So how that got into... So back in, so when we had the first computer, I was like, all right, this is cool. I started learn, uh, I learned some programming language like Toro Pascal and whatnot. I practiced it on, on the computer. We didn't even have a mouse when we had this computer. I think the mouse came a little later. There was no sound. There was no CD. It was just a plain desktop keyboard and a monitor. It was, it was like so janky, right? And what year was this again? This is 92. I think they had sound cards around this time, but we, just went with a base model, and that's what we had. So when I came to the U.S. in 95, the computer technology had gone up a notch. And I was like, I need to get a computer because that's, you know, that's what it's all about. So I got involved with computers, playing with, you know, breaking them up, playing on it, you know, connecting with people through AOL Instant Messenger and AOL and, and, and email with Juno. But what really got me involved into graphic designing is that playing with the software that's on there, like Microsoft Word and Excel and whatnot. At this time, my uncle was running a small business and he needed some flyers made. So I fired up Microsoft Word and I started designing a flyer. Right, this is in 96 and 96, 97. It was just too too much fun because also going to college, I was interning not not really interning but assisting at the writing lab so got to play with different software on the computers again being in close proximity really helped so designing for using microsoft word then upgrading to front page when i started designing web pages and dreamweaver photoshop you name it all these applications started coming into view and i started using it and applying what I had learned through college and what I had learned through just tinkering around enabled me to get to that point. Nice. So how old were you when that happened? So when I came to the United States in 95, I was 19 years old. Let me back up a little bit. So while I was in Saudi going to high school, I picked. So I went to Pakistan embassy school. So our high school ends at 10th grade. And then after that, we have two years of interim college where you get to pick or hey do you want to do bio or medical or do you want to do computers and electronics those those were the two options i had so i ended up picking computer science and we had a great teacher he's he taught taught us a lot about the science, computer science and programming so when i came out here i already had my mind made up you know i'm going to do something with computers and when i was going to college i was like okay let me take some networking networking classes my idea was I'm going to do computer information systems as my major. Going through that, you know, I took a ton of different classes on networking and programming languages and playing around with these things. But I was just always 
experimenting and tinkering and having a computer at home totally helped. So I was 19. Around when I turned 2021, 20, I was designing graphics using Microsoft Word and, and all those, you know. You could do apps. that? Well, I guess you could. I, I've seen people do crazy things in just Microsoft Paint. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I think after Microsoft Word, Microsoft had something called a publisher, Microsoft Publisher. So I started using Publisher because I had more control over the margins, more control over what I can drop in there. And in fact, my first website that I designed was in Publisher. Anyways, that was a ton of fun, you know, going through that part of my life, you know, learning about tech, learning about designing. And I also worked at a computer shop where I got to build computers for a living. Nice, nice. How was that? Can you talk about building the computers for a living? That was a ton of fun. I mean, you basically, you know, based on what the customer needed, again, a little bit of UX comes into here because UX is all psychology. You're asking questions, you're figuring out, okay, what's your problem? How can we solve it with this solution? Okay, how fast a computer do you need? Well, what are you going to be doing on this computer? Are you going to be building pages? Are you going to be, you know, using Microsoft Office? So pretty simple. So taking account into those, you know, how much money do you want to spend? What's your budget? And based on that, we would pick the CPU, the the motherboard, the RAM, the hard drive space. You need CD. Do you have built-in sound in those motherboards? I don't think so. So, you know, separate sound card, separate video card. So assembling all of that together, and we had some pretty cheap parts to build these computers. It's pretty fun. How long did you work at the computer shop? Uh, I think probably six months to nine months I worked for a computer shop and then I moved to a a web hosting company where I started doing the actual web design work for other clients, small businesses. Now you got into web design because, I mean, you had the graphic design background. So how was that? And how did you sort of get better at it over time? Just experimenting the different layouts. And, you know, there's a ton of like Smashing Magazine is actually something pretty new. Uh, there was a website called Designs by Mark. Uh, this is Mark. can't even remember his name anymore. But he had a website where he talked about Photoshop tutorials. And he would teach you all the different techniques you can use in Photoshop while you're designing Zaps. And I think I was following Macromedia. Macromedia and Adobe were two separate companies. Macromedia had Fireworks, Freehand, and Dreamweaver. And then Photoshop had the Illustrator and, uh, or sorry, Adobe had the Photoshop and Illustrator company, you know, software companies. So I was going back and forth between Photoshop and, and, and Fireworks at that time. And in fact, I was using Fireworks up until seven years ago, still, you know, to design, uh, mobile applications and, and enterprise level applications. How long did you keep that job? So kept the job at the, the hosting company for about a year till I again moved to another company. This was a smaller company. This was actually a little larger company because the hosting company was only myself as a designer. And then we had the CEO who managed all hosting platforms or the servers, which also inspired me to launch my own hosting company around that time. So I created my company, Humble Zone, back then and offered hosting and still do. So anyways, from then I switched to another company where we did a lot of different things. We were supporting um, hotels with video on demand services. They had servers set up. Again, I had gained experience, not only in web design, 
but also on how to set up servers, how to set up a intranet, a network with you know server and backups and whatnot. So taking all of that tech and knowledge that I had, I took to this new company, Allsat Link, I think the name was. It was fun. We we were supporting and helping these hotels, like these small mom shop hotel on setting up video on demand services. It was just neat. It was just really, really cool. How long did you stay at this job? I think about three years. Three years. What kept you at this job longer than the other ones? So this job gave me a lot more flexibility and a lot more challenges. I was able to travel all around the world, all around the U.S. actually, different uh, hotels that we service and make sure the system was up, working and optimal. And then from that company, gave me a lot more freedom on what I could do and what I could work on. We created a lot of different brand and products and uh, it was just a ton of fun. You really learned a lot about servers and all that. So this was, I guess, really important for you as a tech person, knowing that info very important. So what came next? What came next is um, around towards the end of the company, uh, the company, they were partnering up with another company to help them upgrade the tech that they were using. So they had a bunch of contracts already and they were enabling them to set up these systems. So I moved to the next company that we had partnered with, like, hey, I can help you deploy these systems further and let's go and do it. And so in the middle, there was a lag where basically I was just working out of home, uh, designing websites. And one of the contacts from this new company Oxford Media at the time, they were like, hey, we need a website done. And I know you're the guy to do it. So let's do it. So I was actually looking for a full-time gig, but I was like, you know, let's let's see if I can go and help them. I was driving. I had a phone interview with another company and I was driving and I called this guy up I'm like, hey, can I come over and we can talk a little more about your website and what we can do there? He's like, sure, sure. I was just about to call you to see if you could come on in. So this was February of 2007. I'm sorry, February 2005. So I'm driving to Irvine. I show up to their office and um, they basically showcased the entire you know, office that they had and the new tech they were getting from Korea and how it's going to change the video on demand services where people can simply just use a remote control to control our server on the back end and be able to load up a movie on demand. And I was like, whoa, this is pretty neat. And this is before Netflix and before you know all of that stuff happened. We didn't have streaming. So we had to set up servers local on the network to be able to deliver the content. So I went and visited the office and you know it was pretty sparse. There's a ton of cubes. They it looked like they had just moved into the place. And I went and talked, you know, talked to the CEO there and he's like, So this is what we've got going on. This is what's up. So I was like, well, I wanted to come in and see if I can design your website and maybe I can, you know, come in here and be close to you guys as I'm designing your site and whatnot. So it's like, oh, I don't know if you have any space over here, but well, we can, I'm sure we could find some space. You know, he was just jokingly. So on the spot, he hired me and brought me on, on because I was proactive and I was, um, talking to my strengths rather than what I'm what weaknesses I have now mind you I still don't have a degree in any of the things that I talked about did they ever ask like in tech I know they're they're pretty forgiving like did they ask did that ever come into they did not ask no 
Yeah, they just cared that you really had the knowledge and stuff. Yeah. So now this is like around 2005. So how mm-hmm. long did you work with this guy? So here in this company, we had a pretty good setup. There's a whole team. There, there's uh, marketing. There's sales. There's you know all different departments. And I worked here for about two and a half years. And the way that it ended was because, well, the company went public. We, I was traveling and, and I did a lot of the on-site uh, setup and, and, you know, did all the website work and, and graphic design and branding and everything. But towards the end, uh, what happened is we had a CEO change. They went public and I am an open guy. So I was basically keeping in touch with the previous CEO as well. <laughs> so what happened is, um, the previous year, I was like, hey, I need some help with our website. Can you come help me? I'm like, absolutely. I, w- I would love to. And I had printed the directions on the company printer. And the current CEO at the time saw the directions. Now, I didn't know. I, I was confronted about it the next day. Like, hey, why'd you go see this guy? <laughs> I'm like, oh, nothing. Just, uh, you know, just catching up and, and keeping in touch. And hours later, I was fired or I was laid off because I was having communication with the ex-CEO. What's really funny is that when I was hired on two years ago, the CEO had signed me up to be a founder. So the contract that I was signed on was a con- was a founder contract, meaning that they can't they still have to pay me for the next 60 days before I let go. So I was like, hey, I don't have to be here, but you still got to pay me for the next two months. That's always nice. <laughs> right. So that was nice. And then uh, immediately after I started working for the company that was below the same, like same office building, there was two floors. And there's another company on the bottom floor that needed some help with web design and some graphics and whatnot. So I was like, hey, i am been all, already been driving out here. I'll, I'll just come visit you guys instead. So that was pretty fun. When you went to the to get the job a few floors below, did you apply or you just went and talked to the person? I think I applied. I just don't remember all the details. It just happened. Like I worked there for like two months and then I went and worked for the old CEO that I was working with. Okay. So what did you do with the old CEO? So the old CEO was running another company. He was actually working on WiMAX. We heard about WiMAX way back, and it's basically similar to 5G that we have now been launching. So WiMAX was another way to get internet access to you, line of sight, and um, faster than the T1 lines that we were, you know, that people were experiencing. They were running a network operating system, a NOC, basically a network operations control center and they needed my assistant with some of that stuff and I just got too busy not only just designing the website but also tinkering with some web tech dealing with PBX telecoms and whatnot and I think three months later the CEO was like well you're not really doing everything that we're asking because you know, you're split between many different tasks that we're giving you, but we we need the site done. So I was like, well, I'm not sure what to tell you. I can't remember, but I basically got let go because the CEO didn't feel like I was doing everything. Plus, they were having problems because they couldn't land enough clients and land enough sales or company, you know, 
at the time to keep moving forward. Okay. So now you sort of got let go. What year is this about? I think this is 2007. Okay. So now what came next? 2007, I was unemployed for a couple of months. What did I do after that? That's a good question. Well, what do you remember doing? I remember uh, that I was applying. Oh, yeah. I was at this time, my cousin and his good friend were running a company called Centric Media, and they were helping small businesses launch different products. We were always talking about ideas, always talking about solutions. It was just a really fun environment. And he had just set that up this in 2007. So I was like, hey, I want to come and hang out with you guys and see what I can do helping with you guys and whatnot. So I basically went there, started doing some a lot of freelance work, a lot of freelance design, and also assisting them with coming up with solutions for their clients. They were always having small businesses come in and, and figure things out. And at the same time, I'm also applying for a new job. I got picked up by a company that was also local, web visible, and um, I think I had a couple of interviews with these guys, and they brought me in. There were like 140 people at the time when I joined, and the vibe there was super, super amazing. And, and been following Tony Robbins and his enthusiastic ways along the way, right? So I was very positive, very enthusiastic all throughout my career, and people saw that and they saw the energy that I brought. So they hired me to come in as a UI designer. So I went there and worked there for, for quite some time. How was this experience for you? And what did you learn from this experience? I think this was one of my first experience into a corporate environment because, you know, this is the largest company I had ever worked for. Actually, not correct. I did work for a a manufacturing firm for about a month. And I was in basically this room where chemical, like boards would come out of the machines with chemical bats and you have to like move them from one chain to the other chain. And after one month, I was like, I'm, I don't think I'm doing this. Yeah. Okay, cool. So now you obviously had a lot of small business experience and even manufacturing is pretty different. How was this corporate experience? Because there's some things that are just a little different in corporate in this company, what was really cool is the level of openness they had. They were a, a small advertising company that helped local businesses uh, launch AdWords campaigns. And their goal is to help these guys get promoted, have their landing pages, anything you think about around ad campaigns or paid ad networking and whatnot. That's what these guys were doing. So I got to play with technology on the back-end side, enterprise-level side. And around the same time, the iPhone was coming out. So I got more and more influence. And this is where the product uh, manager told me, hey, you should check out this design practicum course by Cooper University up in San Francisco. I was like, all right, I'll check it out. So I went there for a five-day course all around interaction design practicum. Now you're like, what is that? Well, interaction design is what user experience is called because you are literally designing experience that you get to interact with. So this was my, my official introduction to user experience. And I was like, wow, this is epic. So this is, we're coming into 2010 now. How long did you stay at this job? I was at this job for about two years and five months total. 
what happened is towards October of 2010, the company had gone public three months prior and the CEO that they brought in was all about getting the money out of the stocks. Even though there's like a vesting period and whatnot, what happened is somehow the stock was getting diluted, diluted, diluted that, you know, the the value of the company started dropping. The other thing that they did is they they scaled the company up to 400 employees by bringing in at least 300 salespeople. Sell, sell, sell. It's like, holy crap, what are we doing? So the company laid off 110 plus people in that first pass and I was one of them. I was like, all right, <laughs> this is what we gotta do. I had made such an impression to the CEO and to the HR and everything that they were like, hey, uh, they had actually given me a Mac Pro to work in when I was working on location. And they're like, hey, we love what you've done for us all this time. And, and really, really, we really hate seeing you go. But if you want, you can take the Mac Pro with you. I was like, holy smacks, that's like a $6,000 computer. So I was like, um, that's really cool. But how about you give you guys give me one of those new Mac, you know, those 15-inch MacBook Pros instead? They're like, sure, come by tomorrow and you know we'll hook you up. Wow. <laughs> so I came in the next day, took that MacBook Pro, and I was on my way designing more. You know, I went back to Centric Media because I was like, hey, let's work again on some of these some of these new products that you got. So so I was there for about eight months. I was unemployed and you know working for myself for about eight months. And I continued to apply for new positions, right? And I couldn't find any work locally in California. So I'm like, what what am I gonna do? So I was applying anywhere and everywhere and till finally I was interviewed for a job in for uh, in Denver, Colorado for Dish Network. And I was on the call for like 15 minutes with the hiring manager. I wasn't even sure if it was going to be a cool deal because after so many rejections on interviews, you're like, you know, you give it all you can, the best you can, but it's what it is. So I was like, all right, this is cool. I'm going to just keep on going. I was on this interview for 15 minutes. An hour later, the recruiting company called me and was like, hey, would you mind jumping on a Skype call with us? tomorrow morning. I was like, sure, no problem. The next morning, I jump on a Skype call with them on a video call. And, you know, I'm standing, sitting in front of a computer. And they're basically just asking me basic questions. And the recruiting company was based out of India. Can't remember the name of them right now, but they're a huge, huge company that are, you know, basically act as a recruiter. And they were one of the main recruiters for Dish Network. So I was on a call and they're like, all right, cool we'll keep in touch. So two days later, they're like, hey, can you fly out to Colorado for your first week at Dish Network? I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, you were hired. I was like, that's insane. So what I found is anytime I'm being myself, anytime I'm being like not overly... Trying to impress them. You're just kind of being yes, upfront, transparent. Exactly. Being authentic, being transparent. I felt like I've got the job. So... That's been my experience so far. So I go to Colorado. I didn't tell anybody like that I have a new job. I just go visit there, right? I spent like one week or one or two weeks over there. And they're like, all right. And I was like, okay, this is legit. We got to move. <laughs> so I come back, We, you know, my wife and I and my kid, we pack up our car and we just move 
cross country. We drove a thousand miles. So that was fun. That was the first time I got to live on my own. And I, I worked there for about three and a half years. It was one of the best experiences I've had in a long time. What made this experience really stand out? You know, why was it the best up till that point? The reason it was really good is number one, I really connected with the hiring manager that had hired me because he was very chill, very down to earth. And anytime we had a conversation, he's like, Janae, let me talk to you. We would go out on smoke breaks, like he would smoke and then, you know, have his monster energy drink. And we would just hang out. It was funny, like very early on, I set myself up as, hey, I'm the UX designer. I'm not the developer. I told everybody, hey, I'm not a developer. I'm a designer. And I set that expectation ahead enough. So the same time that I was hired, another gentleman was hired, you know, for this similar position. And what we did is um, we would go on these rides and we would just, you know, talk about stuff. And I started talking about my experience as a designer and I would showcase all the stuff that I would, that I knew. So what, what that did is that put the developer responsibility on the other guy who's brought in on the same position. So that was pretty interesting because being able to state that purpose on what you want to do ahead of time really helped me, you know, set myself up for success. Plus the team what that we built. So what was happening here is we were designing a app for Dish Network that would enable their extensive dealer network to be able to sell products and have a a tablet app. So basically they were designing a tablet application that was this initially designed by a third party company. And then they wanted to bring all of that in house. So I had the opportunity to, to build that app. And I just found out three months ago that they're sunsetting that application. That app ran well for three years after I had left. Wow, that's always nice when you do something and it's still going on because I, I know there are so many things that you work on projects and they sort of die. It's new, someone new comes in. Cool. So now you've obviously had a diverse set of jobs and you know a lot of, especially in the last five years, a lot for you user experience and all that. In your mind, what did you do to get ahead? Like what made you successful? You said one part was that you were always yourself and that's what got you the job. But what are some other things that you did that you believe you did right? Well, I was always curious. I was always learning about the newest technology. I would always talk about tech. I was always like, hey, check out this new CPU tech that Intel's borrowing from AMD. In fact, when 2005, when Intel announced or Steve Jobs announced that, hey, Intel or MacBooks are not going to be using Intel CPUs, I was like, wait, what? It just blew my mind and immediately started searching for how to install Mac OS on my PC, right? So Hackintosh was born. And so I took the liberty of learning that myself, installing the operating system and tinkering with it or tinkering the hardware to make it work. So I was always tinkering with technology. And in fact, I even created a blog called Techno Junkie, where we talked a ton about computers and software and uh, the Apple space. So I think that also 
gave me a leap because I was always learning about new tech and how could help you you know be utilized to create new experiences for our customers and clients. Nice. So what are some of the don'ts in your industry that you see a lot of people they you know cuz tech is always hot, right? Oh, go to tech, go build websites, right? That was what are some mistakes that you see people make and what are some mistakes that you've made looking back? Man, that's a good question that I don't have an answer to. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, that's fine. What are some general mistakes that you've kind of seen? That's a good question. I mean, the past question was really, really awesome too. I just haven't made a list yet of the mistakes I've made, but a general mistake on any level actually is to not hear or not listen to what the client wants. There's two schools of thoughts, right? That you're taught in marketing, in technology. One is you listen to the customer and deliver what they want. And the other one is a Steve Jobs mentality where customer doesn't know what they want. If they didn't know about the car, they would ask for a faster horse. Like, hey, I want to get somewhere faster. You didn't give me a faster horse, right? And that's where the car ingenuity came out. So anytime you're able to combine multiple tech, multiple things together, you're thinking outside of the box and setting up constraints to be more creative around what you want out of life. So I guess it still stems back to you have to understand what they need, right? Because even if you say like, I'm hungry, right? It means you, hey, you want to satisfy that hunger. So how do you go? Or I want to travel somewhere faster, right? So it's not the horse. It's just the horse helps them travel. So it's kind of going deeper and figuring out, right? They're telling you something, but that is telling you about a problem. And then you can say, okay, you can solve this problem through X, Y, Z. How has the industry really changed over time? Now, which specific industry are you talking uh, Just in general, the tech space, right? Because the tech space, right? You you went through the dot-com bubble, the financial crash, and you know now, obviously, the tech industry has you know started going up again due to the pandemic. So how has the industry changed over time? Because I know like now cloud is a big thing. Now you're not going to have hotels having their own server, right? It's going to be all in the cloud, do all that. But you know they go through shifts, right? I see in a couple of years where their private servers start coming back, right? To host sensitive data. How has the industry changed over time based on what you've seen, right? And this is going from the 90s to today. What's funny is that we've had the cloud since the 90s, right? Being able to get to the website, they just gave it a marketing spin around it to call it something that's easily digestible by the consumer, you know, the layman terms. The technology has changed in that we have some of the greatest minds using machine learning and artificial intelligence. Now, even that is way far beyond to where Skynet is a big threat. We're still building blocks on how AI is working. So technology has definitely evolved. We have new tech such as blockchain and and, um, machine learning and AI to alleviate some of those problems that we had initially, for example, single point of failure, no more do we have those single point of failure because we are creating redundant arrays, we're creating redundant site hosting platforms. What I've seen and what really excites me is how combining software and hardware together has enhanced our ability to overcome some of the issues that we've been facing. For example, the latest M1 chip 
that everybody's been talking about that Apple's created. I was very skeptical last year when people were saying, oh, Apple's going to come out with an ARM CPU. I'm like, why would you put an ARM CPU? I mean, Intel processors are so much stronger only because I have a limited knowledge around what's even possible. But then the deeper I dug, the deeper I understood, no, they've built the platform that they want to run this, their software on. So absolutely, they're able to do what they want to do with the tech that they're creating. So where are we going to be in the next 10 years, right? We have virtual reality, we have augmented reality all coming into place where you can even track your eyes. Like there's a whole set of software or hardware that usability testers use or, or that you can employ to see, hey, where are your eyes traveling when you're checking, when you're playing on your website? And what is the need of it? And even in gaming, because there you can use eye tracking software or hardware for gaming where it makes it instantaneous to connect to your target or, or, you know, attack and whatnot. So it's just, I just see the evolution and I, I just, it just blows my mind what's, what's even possible. Yeah, no, I mean, technology just changes, man. It's like, I remember I had like two gigs of hard drive space on a computer. And then when I went to eight gigs, that was like, whoa, now it's like, I have like 64 gigs of RAM. So, and I have a, whatever, like a one terabyte and you know upgrade so it's just crazy how technology sort of goes and you know how we adapt so what would you say over the years how have coworkers and our managers described working with you given your you not having a degree so they found that my ability to react quickly or you know be proactive in creating design or creating a solution has been my best quality i guess i would say but what's also amazing is that I'm always learning newer and newer things and being able to relate on a human level to the users because as a UX designer, we are known or set to be the user advocates. We are using the user-centered design philosophy to design for the user and being as positive or as, um, what's the word I'm, I'm escaping? I'll come back to it. He'll come, right. right. come to me. He'll yeah. come to you. Now, what's the typical salary range for like the jobs you did and what's realistic, especially now? So throughout your history, what are the typical salary ranges? I mean, it doesn't have to be yours, but just people who did similar things. And what would you say like going forward now doing the things you did? I think depending on the level of experience a UX designer or a designer per se would bring, the salary range can can, you know, go anywhere from 36 to 150 to even 200, depending on how high up they go as a UX designer. So what's the lower end is entry level. What makes you get, you know, break the six figures? What makes you get closer to the 150, 200 as a UX designer? I think the more specialized you are in the area of your expertise in UX, because user experience as is an umbrella in itself, where it goes all the way back to the customer journey, to customer support, to visual design, to interaction design, to the actual front-end development. So there's a lot of different levels in UX. And there's even user research, right? So you're doing interviews, you're talking to a ton of people to understand the problems they're facing and, and 
analyzing that data and putting it down. So the more of that is available, you have experience with the more flexibility you have into asking for a higher salary. Okay. Do you mind sharing, talking about your hobby? Because you obviously have your own podcast and you have, you know, talk about the studio and, you know, you have like a multi-camera setup. You know, how'd you sort of get into that? Uh, really great question. Thank you. Back in 2013, I got a anniversary gift as, you know, a Canon DSLR camera by my wife, mainly because you know, she knew I was into photography and videography. I was, I've been recording videos since the nineties on tape cameras, just capturing different events. So I had an eye for video, an eye to capture content. So from 2013 on, I basically started connecting with a lot of video production houses, video production people, and just being in the space of video production. So I've worked on a good number of short films with a crew and, you know, being on set, being able to capture behind the scenes video using my camera and the techniques I learned. I even took some courses uh, called Holly Video, sorry, Hollywood Camera Works, which teach you all about blocking, all about camera shots, all about how close you'd need to be or different shots because there's a close-up shot, there's a medium shot, there's a, you know, a full shot, a double shot. So they have different terminology in Hollywood that as soon as you hear it, you know exactly how to frame the shot. So bringing that knowledge over to my home, to my studio, I was like, hey, I've got the equipment, I have the gear. It all started even before I started doing uh, or we started working from home or being on Zoom calls because two years prior, I had started doing podcasting and I was bringing on bringing in guests using the Zoom platform and recording conversations. And I know I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in front of a computer and I need to look good and I want to make sure my guests are looking good too. So what I did is like take all of that and in the back of my mind, like, hey, I want to be able to record this video course that I created on camera, what am I going to see? So a lot of the time you'll see, hey, what I'm looking at looks beautiful, but anytime I turn the camera around, I don't like what I see behind me, right? It's like when you look in the mirror in the bathroom and you see there's a bunch of hooks and your clothes are hanging there. Like, well, that needs to go. How are you going to stage that shot? So taking all of that into effect into my head space and having the extra time being able to work from home, I was like, all right, let's set up the stage for myself because I've been setting up stages for others. Well, when we're shooting a movie, when we're shooting a short film, when we're shooting a documentary, we're setting the stage, we're making sure everything from background is relevant to the conversation and go from there. So I was able to bring that knowledge into creating my own studio. Now that's cool. And you also help people like set up their studios, right? Yes. That's a plus thing that's come out of COVID to be able to help others set up their studios because the more and more Zoom calls I was jumping on, everybody's asking like, dude, how is your camera or your video looking so much better than the rest of us? What's going on? Right. So I would, I would tell them that what I did and how, how mine is different than everybody else's. So they're like, all right, this is something that you should be teaching others how to do. 
Cool. So no, that's always interesting. Now, how can you talk about the Hacks and Hobbies podcast? Absolutely. So two years ago, like I said, I was mentioned earlier, two years prior, I was recording conversations on Zoom calls. Those were all for my podcast, Hacks and Hobbies. And that started as a hobby to document my journey of beekeeping. So I was teased at my <laughs> at my previous jobs that, you know, I had way too many hobbies and what's your new hobby this week? You know, what's going on? So I was like, well, I'm going to create a new podcast <laughs> all around hacks and hobbies. And why a podcast? Well, over the years, I've connected with so many people. One, one such gentleman reached out to me and told me, hey, can you help me create a podcast? I was like, absolutely, I would love to. Now, the backstory is 2012, I had a podcast called Still Brewing It because we were just talking about ideas, talking about different things. So I had some experience creating a podcast. So in 2018, I went into research mode and did all the research that I could for this uh, friend of mine to set up his podcast. And I ran into this app called Anchor. I'm like, holy smokes, this is so simple. It's stupid why everybody's not doing it, right? So just then, uh, once we figured out what my first episode was going to be, I jumped in the car. I didn't even have a name for the podcast. And I started talking about the first episode. It was a ton of fun. And how many episodes are you up to now? I am at uh, 220 episodes with about 40 more going out before the end of the year wow that's that's interesting okay you know you know it's i only have what are you you're episode 44 i think you're episode this is gonna be episode 44 season yes yeah, so season oh you, i'm episode 44 nice i like that number no it, it was meant to be and you know i had the pleasure of being on your podcast so that was always cool so how would how would people get in contact with you so they can visit uh, hacksandhobbies.com to find out more about the podcast, find, learn more about my journey and why I started the podcast, as well as learn about the different courses that I'm setting up. I've got a podcast beginners course. I've got a course on setting up your home studio and how to use your smartphone for mobile video production. Wow. Thank you so much for your time, Junaid. It was a pleasure speaking with you. I know the audience got a lot of value. Feel free to check out the Hacks and Hobbies. It's just a cool podcast, right? You just get a lot. And thank you for another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at Facebook.com slash No Degree INC. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem nodegree.com Yeah So You got no degree No problem No problem Any problem We can solve We got this LinkedIn insomnia Keeps us evolving Growing and knowing Wisdom is flowing If you didn't know Now you know where I'm going I'm going
solving Linked insomnia keeps us evolving We're growing in the knowing The wisdom is flowing If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going No degree, no problem Any problem, we can solve them Linked insomnia keeps us evolving We're growing in the knowing The wisdom is flowing If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going Yeah